0: We are using the Pilgrim's Progress as a bit of a travel guide and um, I thought I would just show you a map of the travel that Pilgrim takes. So you won't be able to to see this in detail at all, but um, you might want to come up afterwards and have a look at the slide, or if you go on the internet and just look for Pilgrim's Progress map, you will find all kinds of versions of the map. Um, outlining the journey that Pilgrim took. So we are just now at the Slough of Despond, which in the Pilgrim's journey is right about there. So we, we started here in the City of Destruction, and we're headed all the way around um, and in this kind of spiraling way towards the uh, Celestial City. And along the way, there are various characters for us to meet. There are various places for us to travel, And I think there are some things for us to learn. So today, as I said, we're in the slew of despond. And in the text version of the Pilgrim's Progress, here is just a short paragraph about this. Help then explained to Christian, this miry swamp is a place which cannot be mended. It is the pit where the scum and filth which attend conviction for sin continually runs, and therefore it is called the Slough of Despond. For as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there arises in his soul many fears and doubts and discouragements which all settle in this place. This is the reason why the swamp remains so foul. Isn't that going to be a great place for us to travel and experience? The Slough of Despond. What is it about the Slew of despond? The, the Slew of the Splend, um, we are told, is the place of conviction. So I'm going to guide us today in just a little um, thinking about what it means to be convicted. Um, it's not a term that we use very often, unless it's a negative term that has just happened to you after you've been charged, and there has been a case, and then you can be convicted. But that's not the case really in which we're using it here although it is somewhat similar. Um, conviction sometimes for us means something that we believe firmly or we hold dearly. It's our conviction that um, this or the other thing but the way in which we're going to look at it today is in a biblical way in a theological way and as we think about the slew of despond It's that period of time when a person begins to feel a little restlessness in Pilgrim's experience in the City of Destruction, um, and he heads out and actually comes to the place of conversion. So he has not become a Christian. This is an allegory, so it's not gospel truth. But the story of Christian or Pilgrim is that he has been reading a book that has told him about the destruction that will come to the city in which he lives. And so he heads out on a journey following the instructions that this book gives him. And uh, the first place that he finds himself, um, as he sort of sorts through his friends, whether they are um, bidding him farewell or whether they want to come with him or whether they're trying to stop him from coming, he finds himself in this slew of despond, this, this place of conviction. And he decides, as he comes out of his conviction, to carry on. So he's going to continue on. Um, to the celestial city, and he will experience many things as we follow with him along the way. But this whole idea of conviction is something that in today's church is fairly elusive. Um, I grew up as as a boy um, with my dad being a gospel preacher. He was a tent preacher. So in Ireland, he, he had a real job, but he had a side job of being an evangelist, And they would literally go into towns and put up a big tent and have what they call in the States revival meetings. We weren't so presumptuous in Ireland to guarantee a revival. They were just gospel meetings. And I remember many times that as my dad preached, and my dad's Irish enough to get a good fire up when he could preach and shout a bit and walk a bit and point a bit and all of that kind of stuff, um... I would see people coming to the front, and they would, they would be weeping, and they would get on their knees, and um, it was a very, very solemn place where people came um, to the altar, as we refer to it, as, as they felt as though they were under conviction. Today, if I hang out with too many of my pastor friends and ask them, do you have any experience these days of people being under conviction? I would get a response sort of like, hmm, kind of, but not the way it used to be. So what's changed? Why is there not this conviction? And why do some people want to have a meeting with their pastor and say, why don't you preach repentance more often? Why don't you preach about sin more often? Why don't we have a sense of the conviction by the Holy Spirit of people who are sinners coming to repentance, and coming to know Christ? And we say it's a good question. So as we think about ourselves and think about um, our lives and our friends and this world that we're living in, um, we're going to look at something that Jesus promised, and it's on the subject of conviction. He said, you're all upset right now because I'm going to leave. I've told you that I'm going to leave. But if you only understand, it is good for you if I go. Because if I go, I'm going to send another counselor. I'm going to send another helper to you. It's the word paraclete that we've talked about once or twice. And when the paraclete comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, it will be good for you that he has come. Because here are some of the things that he's going to do. And so on the subject of conviction, here's what Jesus says. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And I could read that and say, so there you are. Except when I read this, I don't understand what it says. Do you? That's why we need to dig it up a little bit this morning. What exactly does the Holy Spirit do? And how exactly does Jesus say um, this conviction will work? Why are people going to be convicted of sin? Righteousness and judgment. First of all, what would that look like to be convicted of those things? And then, in what way is it because they don't believe in Him that they're convicted because of their sin? Um, in what way is it because He goes to the Father and they can't see Him anymore that they're convicted of righteousness? And in what way is it concerning judgment because the ruler of the world has been judged? It's Jesus says it as though the disciples should understand it and say, oh, thank you. Good. Yeah, we're we're not so sad anymore that you're leaving. Now that we know that the Spirit is coming and he will do those three things for those three reasons, we can get on with the job. I, I think they probably sat and looked at one another and said, I have no idea what he's talking about. How? What does that mean? And in today's world, as we watch a sociological shift in the church and evangelicalism and we say those days of conviction of sin seem to have largely left us where are we now in fact these days what is sin in the thinking of a society like ours what's sin in the mind of a person sitting in church on a sunday morning so let's see what we can find out. First of all, we're told that he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, convict is is a it's a very strong word. It it could mean he will shame the world. It could mean he will out the world, could mean he will convince the world. Um, it is a bit of a legal term. It's it's something that might have shown up in court. If you would say um, the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction and evidence. So maybe we'll find that some of the reasons that Jesus cites that these things will be on people's conviction radar will be brought up by the evidence of what he says concerning each one of them, sin, righteousness, and judgment. But what are sin and righteousness and judgment? So I want to give you three words um, that I think are synonyms for those three that might help us understand a little bit better. So for sin, we'll talk about condition. So The Holy Spirit is going to convict us about our condition, the condition of sin. He's going to convict us about our behavior when it says he's going to convict the world concerning righteousness. So sin is about our condition. Righteousness is about our behavior. And consequence um, would be the word I would give you in, in place of judgment. So sin, righteousness, and judgment... Sin, who knows what sin means? We, we, we'd almost have to go back to the drawing board to understand that biblically. Righteousness, well, what kind of a word is that? I mean, you don't, where do we use the term righteous unless it's in hip-hop or something, right? We, you know, you don't say that's a righteous thing. You don't say um, I'm, I'm trying to grow in righteousness or I'm trying to practice righteousness. We don't even we don't use the word. So what is Jesus talking about when he says that the Spirit will convict the world about righteousness? And then this whole matter of judgment, um, consequence, that when we look at sin and behavior, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do something that is about consequence, that there's something that happens because of sin and behavior, condition and behavior that is the response of judgment concerning sin because they don't believe in me Um, let me take it apart a little bit Um, it says because they don't believe in me it literally says they don't believe towards me so there there you there are all kinds of prepositions in Greek there is the preposition in he could have said um, he will convict them of sin because they don't believe in me. the word believe is better translated trust so there' two sort of options about what he's talking about here. If we were to say, yeah, it means believe in me, we could say what that means is that you write down all the things that you believe are true about Jesus, who he was, why he came, what he did. Um, And we would ask one another, do you believe in those things? And it's kind of a static thing, right? It could be something that you sign and say, I'll be part of this church, and to be part of this church, I need to believe in Jesus. And I could say, I do believe in Jesus. In many, many ways, many people in our society would say, I believe in Jesus, which is to mean, I believe that he was a great teacher and miracle worker. Um, I believe that he was falsely arrested and executed Um, I believe that he is a great moral example whom we should follow. And I believe he came and renovated religion. He took all the nonsense out of it and said, here's real religion. And we might be satisfied then to say, so I am someone who believes in Jesus. Except it's not the kind of technical term believe. It's... um, it's the, the word trust. It's depend on. And there's a big difference, right? And it's not in Jesus. It's, it's towards Jesus, which, which talks about motion. I'm moving towards Jesus. I am not stopped here making an intellectual assent about this. I'm on a motion. And my motion is taking me towards Jesus And I am believing into Jesus. I'm coming into who he is, what he did, and what that means for me. Now, what is it that he did for me? There's a great book called The Great Dance, The Christian Vision um, by Baxter Kruger. Um, It's a great book because he went to Regent College, and so that just makes it a great book. Um, But... He has a lovely notion of what it is that God has done. Uh, he's very Trinitarian. Um, so he he talks about the fact that what happened was that the God who is an eternal friend is in um, an eternal dance with himself. So I can't explain the Trinity, nor can you, He's God, he's one, he's three, he's always three. He's he's uniquely one when he is father or son or spirit. Um and, and that's one of those things that we say, yeah, you know what? I can't explain that. I'm I'm quite happy actually that I can't. Kind of put me on a different level than being a creation. Like I was the creator and could describe myself. I I could can't do that. So, Kruger says that there's this eternal dance, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the great joy of God is to invite us into His dance. And John, in these chapters, says some awfully incredible things about what we are invited into. He he prays to the Father and says, Father, may they be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, and we and they, they and us, and we and them, and you go. That's scrambling my head. What is that you're talking about? And Kruger says, well, it's this, the Trinitarian dance. um, And from the Trinitarian dance comes this incredible grace that says one of us will need to become one of them to bring them to be among us. And that the whole story of Christianity is not that we're so bad and he's so angry and he's tired of it, so he's going to come and fix it, but that it's the joy of the Trinity saying, what will we do to enable humankind to be brought up into our dance? That is our eternal joy. And he says this, "Uh, Christ is the point of contact between divine and human life. He's the connection between the Spirit or the Trinity and the human existence. He mediates the triune life of God to us. The truth is, this world belongs to the Holy Trinity and is permeated by the great dance of life shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit. You and your life have been overtaken by the abounding philanthropy of the triune God. You have been included in the great dance. Isn't that lovely? So, to reject Jesus is to kibosh the whole thing. The, the greatest sin that there could be is for me to dismiss Jesus, given what he came to do. To say, I'm not really interested in that. So the Spirit will come, and He will make it known to humankind that what Jesus has done has been enormous grace, um, and that it had to be done, and was done out of the delight of the Trinity, because the Trinity wanted to join humanity to deity, wanted us to be at the table in the room, uh, wanted us to be in the dance, and. The point is, there's one dance card, and it's called Jesus. So the Holy Spirit will say, you cannot dismiss Jesus. In in the full notion of who he as one of the Trinity was in coming, and what he became, he became mortal, although immortal in his essence as deity, but but he became a human and he continues as a human he got, he was never a human before the incarnation but in the incarnation he became human and he left this earth the importance of the ascension is that they watched him go up into heaven as a human being he went back to the trinity to the dance as a human because now forevermore humans can be part of the great dance of the trinity so the affront of rejecting jesus is the highest affront of sin and when the holy spirit comes he will be poking at people and saying jesus is the only way we've talked before about how god applies the truth that jesus is the only way the point is that there is only one dance card it is jesus and no one comes to the Father except through me and and we accept that and practice into that so sin is not only um, that we are sinful beings it's not a f- sort of only a forensic story of how good heaven is and how bad earth is and how good God is and how bad we are. It's a story of grace and the story of this great dance. Um, that says every which way that your head gets twisted and turned on why Jesus came and what atonement means and what substitution was being made and how it was applied and all of that, that's enormously important because Jesus is the one who joins the human to the divine. The next thing is that the Spirit is said um, that he will... Convict the world of righteousness or concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. I take this to mean that when it comes to behavior, um, righteousness is all about behavior. It's a, it's a covenant behavior kind of a word. It's not um, in, in the context of the old covenant And the day of Jesus in in Jewish thought, not Roman thought, um, righteousness is not doing good things or not doing bad things. Righteousness is a relational word in the Bible. Um, When you're in covenant with someone, the behavior that you exhibit is called righteousness. It's certainly doing what is right But it is doing it thoroughly. It's doing it from the depth of your being, from the joy of your heart. It is a relational word. And when we turn religion into a legal word, we, we always get ourselves in trouble. And the two times that God sets us straight on that are remarkably the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and the two Great Commandments, right? In both of those, where do you start? The first table of the law, if we were to go commandment one, two, three, four, and count our way down, we get to a sort of a stop point and say, oh, until now it has all been about loving God, and now it's going to be about how you behave towards your neighbor. The great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. It's all behavioral, it's all relational, and... I think what Jesus is saying is saying to the disciples understand this that because of the rejection of me I'm taking away your your visible drama of what it means to live righteously again in in this term where it says you will no longer see me there are lots of words for see or three or four in Greek some just mean see. I mean, I see Wayne, right? This, this is a verb that means to be able to gaze at something, to be able to spectate at something. So Jesus is not saying, it's because I will be physically absent from you, but I will not be with you in the sense that you can watch me. You can watch what righteousness looks like because I'm going back to the Father. And you know that what I'm leaving is not altogether fixed. Your human society is not at all altogether fixed. And so there's going to be a a spirit who comes and who will convict the world over their behavior, over their covenantal behavior, and will say, this is not right. This is not what I want for you. This is not what I will have for you. But this is what you have brought upon yourselves. And as Dean said, we've not lived in a place like this ever I I don't think I agree with that um so we say well what's wrong well what's wrong is that we have turned our backs as humankind on the member of the trinity who came to join us up um and and we actually crucified him um, and further than that e- even though he showed us what behavior should look like um we, we essentially have rejected that as well because the behavior that he showed us is love it is it can be boiled down to love he lived love um in in all of its dimensions um he did not live power he did not live privilege he did not live um in anything other than servant love and jesus said now the the world's going to get better the world's going to get worse with the testimony of the spirit who will come and convict the world of its behavior, notably its behavior of love. Love will be absent to the degree that I am rejected as the one who's inviting you into the dance of love with my father and spirit for the great future that will come about. We need more than any other in the world to live love because Jesus has gone back to be with the Father. If he had stayed with us, we could have always said, well, you know, it's not Gandhi, don't look at him because there's this other character called Jesus, you know where he is, right? He's wherever he's living now. And his life is the life of righteousness that we are all invited to. So just follow him. He said, I'm not going to be here all the more reason for Jesus' followers to love one another, to do all of the loving things, to be all the loving ways that they are taught to be by him, with the Spirit who comes to energize that in them. And the final thing is is that he says, the Spirit will convince the world or convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged I think the conviction that weighs most heavily on us these days um, is is the wickedness of the ruler of this world. The brokenness that we're responsible for, right, the roof that we pull down on our heads, it would be bad enough except that the ruler of this world empowers it with hatred and death and animosity. To say that he hates us is an understatement. He, he wakes up in the morning, if he does any sleeping, seething with hatred because he doesn't want that dance to take place. He doesn't want us into the sacred dance. He wants us to turn away from Jesus and be sinful in that rejection. He wants us to live hatefully with one another. Um, and he wants us to just make sure that there's that chasm that never is, is breached between the Trinity God and humankind. The most um, ast- astonishing realization is that the devil will never be invited to the dance. Like there's no chance. And that's that's because that's what God is wanting, it that hatred empowers darkness. And all the stuff in our world is the hatred of Satan, all of all of the lawlessness, um, all of the selfishness, all of the hatred, all the stuff you all deal with. All of the false claims and attractions, it's, it's not just all stuff. I mean, we can dream up bad enough stuff ourselves or useless enough stuff. But it is empowered by the king of darkness, the one who hates us. And that's why the world is the way it is. You know, somebody will say, give your head a shake when we look around and see what the world is like, we have to say, come on, there is something wrong here. What What is wrong? And the answer is sin and righteousness and judgment. And the truth that finally the head will be cut off, the serpent, the devil, um, his power will be lost and he will be, into the lake of fire, which was prepared for him and his angels, not for us. And he won't be invited to the dance. So I think this morning we, first of all, need to long for the dance and not just be wondering how we can be legally okay. So it's not just a legal, it's, it's a dynamic relational thing that has happened with God coming to be here. Um, with, with God being willing to be one of us because he wants us to be able to be one of them. We don't become gods. We become partners in the dance. Um, but we become invited, in fact, adopted partners in the dance. And there's a word. So we're not just forgiven. We're adopted. When you're adopted, you become part of the family. And we are accepted in the Beloved. We are welcomed by the Father with his Beloved and Spirit. And they will say, we've been waiting for eternity to be able to invite you to the dance. So here's your card. The Spirit needs to come, Jesus says, because he needs to convince the world, to convict the world. So we just have to live into this with as much joy and energy as we can so that people might ask us the why. And the why is not because we're good people, better people, more privileged people. The why is because we've come to discover that the creator God who is triune is welcoming us into his company. And as that happens, when the kingdom of Jesus comes, when the whole new creation that... Tom Wright talks about, and I talk about probably more than I need to. Um, when that comes, it's going to be amazing. And the old will be gone. So carry on what you're doing, um, but divest yourself of things that are not allowing Jesus to be Lord of all that you are. Um, one of the things I heard from someone this week was that they the attractional church was an interesting movement. That was when we convinced people to come to church because um, they would like it if they came because most of us didn't like it when we used to come. So come because you'll like it if you come. It'll be relevant. Um, and then you can go back to the rest of your life. And now the the attractional movement is saying, wow, what? We forgot to tell people that Jesus is Lord of their lives. That everything you do is under the Lordship of Christ. Everything in your job, everything at home, everything at school is under the Lordship of Christ. Um, And it all is in the process of being redeemed, renewed, and caught up into the dance. And there's work to do, and there's an enemy to be finally vanquished. But in the meantime, our hearts are called up towards um, what it is that God has for us and the incredible invitation of being best friends with three beings um, whose relationship is the most joyful, loving, um, astonishing thing you could ever want to see. And you're invited to come and be part of all that stuff. So do what you do for the Lordship of Jesus. Joining with the Holy Spirit and I don't know that we should be looking for people to come and weep on their knees feeling guilty over sin. What I do believe is that people ought to come to groups with the fact that their lives are meaningless. That that, that's the expression of sin is a whole society full of people whose lives are meaningless. Um, guilty and shameful and disappointed and all the rest, but at the end of the day, meaningless, trying to stack up things, uh, experiences, and people that that aren't what we were made for, and they should only be part of the lordship of Christ as we try to live as as his followers. So the slew of despond. Do you want to stay there or climb out? I'm not even sure that I talked about the slew of this bond. It was a way into this talk, but it's not what we got. Because it took me to conviction, which brought me to the question, what does it mean that the Spirit convicts us? What does He convict us of? Hopefully it's a a positive, longing uh, kind of a thing that we're convicted towards.